From Ag Expert, it's the FCC Knowledge Podcast, a show that features real Canadian producers, real stories, and real good conversations about the business of farming. I'm your host, Marty Seymour. My poor father-in-law and mother-in-law, I I am a bit of a, well, I'm a redhead, and I feel like that should speak for itself. <laughs> I'm not touching that so, one. I'm not taking the bait on that one. <laughs> I feel like there are so many times when I cannot keep my mouth shut. I'm a very passionate person that stands up for what I believe in 100%. Today's episode marks the start of season two of our podcast. We've been gone throughout the summer, but we didn't forget about you. We'll be releasing new episodes every month until the spring of 2022. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. Today on the show, we're featuring Sherry Pauls, a farmer from Southern Manitoba. You might know her better as the Ginger Mom on Instagram, where you can follow along as she shares her comedic insights into farming life. What's interesting about Sherry is that she didn't grow up on a farm. She married a farmer and moved to Osborne Clay Farms roughly 17 years ago. She's going to talk about what it's like to marry a farmer and adapt to the agriculture world, which includes trying to fit in in a farming family. She's also going to share a lot about her farm's business planning practices and how they keep non-farming family members in the loop. Sherry's story is full of lessons on resiliency, collaboration, and interpersonal communication. Stick around. You won't regret it. Welcome to the FCC Knowledge Podcast. Today on our show, we've got Sherry Pauls. Welcome to the show, Sherry. Hello. All right, Sherry, I, I love to find out where people are from. We got listeners from across country. Uh, put your town on the map. We live in southern Manitoba, Canada, and our farm is roughly half hour south of Winnipeg. I actually spent seven years of my life in Steinbach, so I know a little bit of your geography. <laughs> Tell me where you're really from. <laughs> what's what's um, town? Well, we, it's a, we're on the farm, so there isn't really a town close by, but um, I guess the closest one would be... Like there's a little, little town called Osborne, Manitoba. Okay. Um, it's about five houses. Yeah. And I would say the next closest one would be Rosenort, Manitoba. And that's where my kids go to school and that's where I grew up. Okay. So Rosenort, you said. Oh, I know that that yeah. space. Isn't that the home of wheat? Uh, what's the grain auger company? Are they in Rosenort? Like um, there's Westfield. Yes, Westfield. And there's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a great little manufacturing pocket in Manitoba. So I know that area also from the flooding of the Red River Valley in the in the day. Oh, so, yes. so did your farm ever get <laughs> some of the big floods we would have seen on TV? Absolutely. Yeah, 97 was a very hard year for a lot of people. So I have a visual. Now, I was a flatlander from Saskatchewan back then of the water being at the top of the stop signs. Is that, is that was I right? Absolutely. Yeah. In Rosenort, we have kind of a, not memorial, but like an obelisk stone statue that shows the levels because there was also the flood of, I believe, 1979. I was not alive then, but I definitely remember the flood in 97. I was in grade seven and everyone got evacuated and we spent our time at the Holiday Inn in Winnipeg <laughs> till the waters went down. Yeah, the water got really high. Yeah, well, and for those people that aren't familiar with the Red River Valley, I actually don't describe it as a valley. It feels like the flattest place that I've ever been. It, oh, yeah. And so an inch of water spreads a long ways. Oh, very much so. Because we have the Red River, but then we also have a bunch of other little rivers that overflow every year. 
So we kind of gauge it with whatever happens in North Dakota. We know that that's coming. It's going to be doubly here in Manitoba as the water rises and as the snow melts. As Sherry confirms, southern Manitoba is famous for its floods. A quick web search reveals that Red River floods are fairly common occurrence. They definitely, 97 and 2009 stand out as some of the worst floods in recent memory. I recall being on the road in Morris, Manitoba around the 2000s and someone pointed out the water was above the yield sign at the crossing. Think about that. That's 8 or 10 feet of water above the highway. Floods aside, the Red River area of Manitoba is also well known for some of its other unique traits. Okay, so another fun little Manitobaism that I learned was a term called Ditsy and Yancey. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> Tell our listeners what that means. Yes. So a lot of us in southern Manitoba are Mennonites and we speak Low German or Plotich. So again, the Red River is kind of this divider and we are on Ditsied, which means this side. And then Yancied is the other side, which is we kind of make fun who has the better side. But then if you go to the other side, which is exactly Steinbeck and those areas, they will say that they are Ditsied and we are Yancied. So it's this side and that side. That's kind of like <laughs> Shelbyville and Springfield on the Simpsons yes, kind exactly. of is how we, uh, which side of the river you're on. So, yeah. okay, you also live in some prime agriculture land area. So what's the price of land in the Red River Valley? So you will probably find this very interesting. Um, we are in a clay deposit. So our farm is called Osborne Clay Farms because our soil is very clay. So the price of land here varies between how close you are, let's say, to like the river, anywhere from 3,000 to 4,000 an acre. But all you would have to do is drive a half hour southwest and it gets sandy and then it goes up like five, six, seven thousand an acre. So it's quite interesting how the soil changes so drastically if you drive around southern Manitoba. Yeah, just based on that floodplain history. So tell us about your farm then. Um, what do you guys grow and what's your farm structure look like? We are a third, fourth generation. Our daughters will be fourth generation. Although I did hear that a grandma once lived on this yard, so I guess that makes it fifth generation. We plant everything from wheat, canola, soybeans, oats, barley, sometimes edible peas. We did flax yet last year for the first time. Yeah. So I'm actually interested in that because I love to use canola and soybeans as kind of the standard yield measure. So you're living on this land at three, 4,000 bucks an acre. What kind of yields would you get on a canola crop, for example? That is a great question. And I have not a hot clue. <laughs> okay. That I'm not, that I'm not going to ask you about the soybeans then. Sherry wasn't up to speed on the specifics of their farming crop yields, but there might be a simple reason for this. Sherry didn't grow up on a farm. She married into agriculture and spent the last 17 years on the farm learning the lifestyle. And as you'll learn later in the podcast, Sherry has some valuable roles in the farm that don't involve tracking crop yields. Okay, so I think your story is kind of fascinating as somebody that didn't grow up on this farm. So tell us a little bit of your background and then how did you, you know, how did you marry into agriculture? So I grew up in the small town that I mentioned, Rosenort. Like I grew up around agriculture and I am a Mexican Mennonite. So my relatives, they all are in Mexico on Mennonite colonies. So I did have a very, a, a foundation of farm life, I would say, but I never, like my family didn't farm. My dad was like a truck driver. And so I met my husband in, in high school in grade 12 and was thrust, <laughs> thrust into it pretty much 
it's either sink or swim. And I learned very quickly how different of a life it is than I thought it was. I thought I knew about farming. I did not know about farming. It was definitely an eye opener for me. So if you think back to those early days, then uh, I find this super fascinating. What was the holy moly? I didn't know that's what a farm life was like. Like what really sticks out for you? I think just um, the commitment they have to the land and how much they they care about every single aspect of their job. And it is definitely not a job. It is 100% a lifestyle. Um, I think the biggest thing was as soon as the cedar went into the ground till that last field was worked in October, November, there was no date nights. It was, yeah, you can come hang out with me, but I'm in a tractor. Or yeah, you can come hang out with me, but I'm hauling grain today. And the only time you would even have a little bit of a of downtime was when it was raining. And when it's raining, you service machinery. So it was very eye-opening for me how busy the busy season is, but also how it seemed like every single one of the members of this family loved it. I don't know. It's hard to describe that it is, it's like it's in them. It's this ingrained pride and the value they take in every single thing they do. And nothing is half-assed, like everything you do to the best of your ability. Yeah, I would say that was probably the biggest, holy moly, they they do this actually 24 hours a day all the time. But that, that's got to sting a little bit, doesn't it? If so, I'm in the early dating <laughs> stages and I want to do date night. I want to go to the lake. And uh, your husband says, yeah, well, we're got, got to go spray canola. Like, How'd you yeah. rationalize that sort of, he's choosing the farm ahead of me in the early days? I would honestly say it was tough. And I, if I could tell anything to my younger self, it would be, and if any like young farm wives are listening, the biggest help for me was when we sat down and said, okay, either I have no social life or I have a social life without you. And that's really what it came down to, realizing that you can still have a social life, but you will be on your own. It's not bad. You just have to scoop up your kids and you got to go wherever you want to go. But there has to be this mutual understanding that either I'm going to continue my social life or I'm going to be here on the farm raising kids and potentially being, yes, yeah, super lonely. It's a very fine line. As you can tell... Sherry spent a lot of years learning to adjust to the farming lifestyle. She did, however, mention that she grew up in a small town surrounded by farmers, so I don't think agriculture was really that foreign to her. But before all that, Sherry was training to become a mechanic of all things. You probably already understand that this could come in handy on the farm. Get it? It's my dad joke. I met my husband when I was training to become a mechanic, so I love being involved in the farm. I love the vehicle maintenance. I love getting my hands dirty and being right in there. So anytime he needs help, he says, sorry, you can't go anywhere. I need your help. You have to drop everything. And when you realize that that's not a bad thing, that that is actually something to be super proud of, it makes, I would say, at least 80% of your problems go away because it is 100% your mindset. The big question I often ask myself is, is this, let's say something like going, yeah, going to the lake for the weekend. Is this more important than my marriage? Is this more important than my farm? And if the answer is no, well, then it's very easy to make a decision. Well, clearly you're gathered and thoughtful, but I got, I'm listening to you going, man, I'd be resentful. Ooh, <laughs> you can't keep picking the canola over me. Like, I don't know. It takes a lot of courage and self-discipline to turn the self-talk off and say, no, no, I understand. I'm going to make a choice and support the farm. I, 
like help our listeners understand how you got there because I admittedly I'm just on this end of the podcast going resentful and uh, you don't exhibit that at all. <laughs> I've been married 16 years, so I hope not. Um, at first, it was, yeah, I guess learning to think outside of yourself, like realizing that you are not the center of the universe. But also I learned that asking for help is very important as well. Whether that be your, like my extended family, whether that be my mom or my dad or my sister, like I need help or I need company. I wish I would have asked for help more. I think my mental health would have done a lot better. And then also instead of having those arguments in your head where you are sitting at home alone, all wrapped up in yourself, getting madder and madder and madder that he said he was going to be home in 20 minutes and it's been three hours, um, realizing that there needs to be instant communication to not let things brew because that is very easy to do. And that I would say is a very quick way to ruin a very good relationship. Communicate, 100% communicate, even when it's tough, even if it's three in the morning and he's coming home and he's he's exhausted, it's looking him in the eye and saying, this is worth it. If you want this to work, we need to now communicate. It's tough. It's so tough. And I'm not going to say that I'm perfect at it. I still on the daily remind myself that it's not about me. There's more here than just me. And there's more factors and more variables that you need to realize. You know, we do podcasts on transition and business planning and all kinds of stuff. And uh, if I had to pick one currency, it's always communication. And, you know, the lighter side of me is I happen to be an ex-husband. And I always say that and people in jest is like, man, if my ex-wife could have read my mind, we would have had way better communication. <laughs> oh, how many times have I said, <laughs> can't you just read my mind? Or vice versa, I can't read your mind, so you need to tell me what you're thinking. It's, yeah, it is the bread and butter of a really good, not just really good farm life, just a very good marriage, I would say, all, all around. Yeah, that's sage wisdom on your part. I want to shift gears a little bit here because um, I'm not Dr. Phil, but I love talking about people's in-laws. <laughs> and so you come to the, you move into the farm, you're an outsider. What's your journey been like trying to integrate into the whole family who's part of the farm? I imagine you have people say, nope, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> the wise, the wise I, people don't take the bait, but I see where we're going here. So it, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, I'm going to say this. It's, Again, it's saying, and I'm not, I'm not perfect at this all at all, but it is saying the tough stuff when there is something said flippantly, whether that be me because I excel at that, um, or whether that be someone else said something. If it is something that genuinely bothers you, you have to take that person aside and talk to them as hard as it is, as awkward as it is, it is just part of life or realizing that. We don't know what's going on in their heads. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt because in the long run, this family that I have married into, I've never, ever met someone so dedicated to each other and so dedicated to have this farm succeed. Sherry's family's the third and fourth generation on the farm, maybe even the fifth that she mentioned earlier. So obviously, the family she married into has a long history in agriculture. This doesn't always come easy given the challenges associated with farm transitions. It sounds like Sherry's won the lottery in this regard. 
There are non-farming siblings. When we all sat down and had our meeting about transition, they 100% said, we want the farm to succeed. It is not about money. It is not about inheritance. It is about this farm succeeding. And I was so blown away and impressed by that. It's hard to have bitterness or have any stuff left unsaid that doesn't make you feel good when the attitude is love and respect. Now, that being said, (laughs) that being said, I am, (laughs) oh man, my poor father-in-law and mother-in-law, I I am a bit of a, well, I'm a redhead and I feel like that should speak for itself. (laughs) I'm not touching that one. I'm not taking the bait on that one. (laughs) So I feel like, I feel like there are so many times when I cannot keep my mouth shut. I'm a very passionate person that stands up for what I believe in 100%. And I know that that has stepped on many toes. So I think, I think there just has to be so much grace when it comes to your in-laws. And again, those awkward conversations where, okay, what did you mean when you said that? Did you actually mean that I'm a bad mom because I don't separate my socks from my jeans? Like it's, it's little stupid conversations that you either have to choose to talk about or you have to choose to get over because you can't have both. Like you can't have the in-between where you're not going to get over it, but you're not going to talk about it because that's just going to make everyone miserable. So that has me thinking here kind of about a doing a 180. So lots of times we have these conversations with people on on this knowledge podcast and we talk about them and, and what they do and what they think. If you switch this 180 and said and spoke to the in-laws on this call or to the parents on this call speaking to the next generation and said, when you do or say this, this is the impact it has, what would be an example of common things people do or say that they don't even realize have a barbed edge to them? Oh, man, I would say, I think mostly if you have to the in-laws, if you have someone that has never been in a piece of machinery or has never lived on a farm before, don't assume that they know or don't act. I would say more so the attitude of acting like they should know something, like you should know this, when how would I know it if I've never been taught it? And to have grace there as well to say, when you're teaching them something, don't say, well, you should know this, or well, don't you know that, or didn't you know that? Though anything that starts with that, that is an instant recipe for hurt feelings or for frustration. The more you can put yourself in their shoes and realize that they are absolutely terrified to screw up and that if they're there, that means that they desperately want to be a part of it and they're just really, really just wanting to learn. Like I, I still, like I said, I've been married 16, 17 years. I think it's 17 years. Don't, don't ask me. <laughs> um but uh, I still want to learn everything and I still am terrified to screw up. And I don't think that that will ever go away. And as long as I keep learning and keep realizing that I'm going to make mistakes, I have numerous times said to my either my in-laws or my husband, you can't get mad at me for making a mistake for something you never taught me how to do properly. And realizing for the in-laws, as like I can only imagine how hard that must be when you've grown up with it. Like my husband was, I'm pretty sure he at five months was already saying, I'm going to be a farmer. Like he was born to be a farmer. You can see it in him. It's a part of him and it just comes naturally. And he does such a phenomenal job with me and our girls teaching us um, the patience and the grace that he has. But every once in a while, there does have to be that conversation of how am I supposed to know how to do this if I've never been taught? Don't assume. That's super wise because I think about 
we wouldn't necessarily use that language with the hired hand, but we do with the family. And I, I was just having this conversation recently as chasing cows with somebody. Now I recognize you're not in the cattle business, but if, if you want to see the worst come out in a family, it's just put them in a pen of black cows and put somebody to watch the gate <laughs> and then tell them to let the, let the black one out and then yeah. offer no more instruction, right? They should know. And yep. so I think only farm people get that. And, uh, mm. and so I, I love the civility and what you're saying about that choice of words. You know, you just got to think about how that lands on the audience. After the break, Sherry talks more about her role on the farm and shares some of the unique ways that the family collaborates to plan for the future. Don't go anywhere. There's some valuable learnings to come. Like, I can honestly say that there is not one shred of bitterness when, you know, now we're building this new shop. Okay, so now Andrew and Cherry are clearly just loaded because we're building this new shop. No, we had to take another loan out of the bank. And we had to, you know, finance this and do that and everything that needs to get done. And we openly talk about that with the non-farming family members. Our presenting sponsor for season two of the podcast is AgExpert, farm management software that's built for Canadian agriculture. AgExpert software, either the field or the accounting model, it's solid, simple, and built for the farm. You can learn more at agexpert.ca. Are you new to the FCC Knowledge Podcast? I know you're loving today's conversation. Well, I've got great news for you because there's a whole first season waiting for you on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe as well and never miss an episode. Can we shift gears a little bit? I I understand you guys do something kind of unique around business meetings and and how the frequency you do them, the why behind them. Can you just describe that for our listeners? Oh, absolutely. So it was quite a number of years ago. My mother-in-law and I were at one of those seminars. They have uh, Brandon Ag Days. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Um, but there was a seminar that my mother-in-law and I went to. And it had a professional mediator talking about transition and the importance of communication, not just in the farm, but also with the non-farming families. And so... What her and I, my mother-in-law and I kind of decided to do or kind of made this pact that we would have these meetings. Like the men always had had meetings about what they were going to seed and when it was time to start harvesting. And we always kind of felt a bit detached. Now what happens is that every, I would say, yeah, three, four times a year, we will have a meeting on like it'll be right after harvest to discuss how harvest went and whether or not we know already what we're going to be seeding next year, whether or not okay, is a time to buy seed now, should we wait a little bit, and then how each crop did. And then as the year goes on into the next year, January, February, we discuss what's the seeding going to look like, who's who's planting what, where. And then after seeding, well, then we talk about spraying. And there are these meetings where it's my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, my brother-in-law and his wife, and then myself and my husband. We sit down and we have papers and we write stuff down and we take minutes. But the coolest meetings by far have been the transition meetings with the whole family. So there are two sisters. Uh, uh, my husband has two other sisters that are non-farming and they're both married. And then including them in the transitional meetings, we don't really have those big ones anymore because we have transitioned. Um, but I would say those by far were the most powerful and I would say brought us together the most. 
just with hearing what everyone's thinking and hearing where everyone is at. And like so often in farming families, you'll have the dad and this son talking and then the other son is working. So he's not in that conversation, but then stuff gets discussed there that maybe should include everyone. And then there's all these little conversations and then you get frustration and miscommunication. And I would say that having these meetings has not completely eradicated it, but very much so where we all sit down. Admittedly, I'm pretty blown away by how involved the family is in planning for the future of the farm. Even the non-farm family members are included in the meetings, and it really feels like no one's excluded from the table. Sherry also took a lot of extra initiative to really cement her place within the family farm operation. Something cool kind of happens just with the women. So my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law and I, we sit down and we plan harvest meals. And we plan two, three months worth. And we all take uh, like two days a week. And Sundays, we normally don't farm. That is our day of rest. And we plan meals right up until harvest is done. And then we have kind of a Agassiz-covered trailer that we have um, tables and chairs and like all the stuff to have supper on the field. So we'll pack that up and hook it up to the pickup truck and we bring it out to the field. We all take turns and we just completely rock harvest when it comes to meals. And uh, I would say the more meetings a year we have, the better our farm does. I can say that with absolute confidence. That's The farm meal thing is just quintessentially Canadian. I, I know we do it <laughs> in the U.S. too, but this idea that that's a big part of harvest and, and create, you know, it creates opportunity for better communication so we're not just yelling at each other on the radios. Yep. But you sit down and take a pause. Um, I, I love it. It's I think anybody listening that's part of a farm that does that, it's just a gift that lots of our peers that don't work in agriculture never get to experience. Okay, you said something. That uh, I can't, I can't glance over because you said you take minutes. Now, I'm fascinated by that because I actually have never heard anybody s- declare that they take minutes. Help me, help me understand what that means. I'm technically the secretary here. I don't do books or anything like that, so don't get the wrong idea. But I'll sit down at the meeting and I will either type up or write down who was at the meeting, and then main topics. I'll kind of break it down into like what's the main topics discussed. And then the point forms of what was discussed. Because often you'll say, when did we talk about that? And then I can pull up minutes or pull up whatever and say it was discussed on January 24th. And it's very helpful when you don't remember what was the plan or what was talked about, especially since you don't want to have a 100 meetings just to discuss every little thing. You can go back and look at the minutes because everyone then gets minutes. They all have a copy of it. And so then they can reference it when they need to. I'm not going to lie. I'm sitting here with my mouth open, super (laughs) impressed. And it's um, like, I just, I I love the idea that you've got this diary that you can go back to and and as formal, informal as it is, it says back in January, we all agreed to this thing and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you have it diarized. Like, so then that takes me to the formality piece. Once again, does, does that mean you arrive at the meetings with an agenda as well? Or is it the wild west and you just happen to have the minutes that document the wild west? But I would say we definitely have an agenda. Like we know what's roughly going to be discussed because we say, hey, we need to have a meeting about seeding or we need to have a meeting about harvest. Quite Not quite recently, but a few years ago, my father-in-law went through cancer treatment and that changed the game huge. And so then we had a meeting of what is this year going to look like? How much can my father-in-law be in the yard? How much can he, what can he do? And then again, there isn't this underlying assumption. I think there's so much garbage that comes from assuming like, well, I just assume that you were going to do this, or I assume you weren't going to do this. 
And yeah, I, I would say definitely we, we, we go into the meetings with an agenda for sure. Okay. So in terms of this business meeting piece and, and the dynamic, is, is there something else, like another best practice in there that you think people should really try to implement into their own farm management communication structure? It's such a tough thing because you're in a business with your family. It's not like you're building houses, so it's A plus B equals C. It's farming is spaghetti. Like it's this whole menagerie of different choices and they change and evolve every year. I would say if families out there are struggling to have meetings, like just not finding the time, there was a professional that we consulted probably 10 years ago already Right when we were talking about transitioning and starting these farm meetings, it was a mediator and like someone that specializes in farm transition. I would always encourage families, especially transitioning families that are having serious issues, which often happens, especially if there's more than one sibling farming or non-farming family members, um, to get a mediator. They are worth every penny. They are professionals and they see the big picture and they also don't know all of you and have bias or you know, stereotype, prejudice, whatever that might be. If you listen to season one of the podcast, you might remember just how valuable a third-party advisor, a mediator can be when it comes to farm planning and transition. An objective third party can often illuminate things that people so close to the business can't always see. Sherry's experience clearly reminds me of this. The biggest thing I would say, if I remember back to those times, um, she had these forms where it had a pile of questions. What are, what are your expectations for this? And it was just a whole list of what's your expectation on this and this and this and this and this. And I'm pretty sure there are templates online people can even access. And that is such a good stepping stone or foundation to start off these meetings, to realize that everyone's coming from a different mindset and physically having to write down your expectations. It's pretty enlightening, even just for the person filling it out. Um, a lot more grace is given when we write things down and realize for ourselves where we personally are at. Because often I don't think we do. We're so much in our own head that often we don't put pen to paper and realize, oh, these actually are my expectations or I didn't realize that this was so important to me. So I would say that would be my stepping stone or my foundation first before you even start having family meetings. terms of transition that you you've got some off-farm siblings in this model mm-hmm. I, I actually am always kind of fascinated you described it sort of their ambition was to make sure the farm transition succeeded and carried on mm-hmm. but how do you talk about money in in a model like that where there's so <laughs> many people like I got to think everybody has a different interest in what's fair and uh, and I'm not even talking about the transition money but the end of the year how we divide the pie and how do you guys structure your conversations around money openly I would say, I think money is such a, ugh, it's such a garbagey thing to talk about. No one wants to talk about it. I don't know why, like with traditional families, so often the older generation doesn't want to be open with money because it seems inappropriate for some reason. I'm not sure why, but just to have legit those bank statements and those loans and all the expenses and everything that it costs to run this thing out in the open for everyone to see is so refreshing and clear And then there is no wondering. A perfect example, we transitioned onto this yard. Now, if we did not openly communicate to the non-farming families, it would be very easy for them to think, oh, we just were given this farm. And we were not. We bought this farm from our in-laws. We are paying them monthly. 
And it's all very official. And there is there was, you know, loans and papers and mortgages all signed and made very official that we moved on to this yard. We are buying this yard. We are buying this house and we are buying the bins and the shed and everything that comes with it, whether that be land and, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I totally see it your way, but I have to think if I put myself at the table, I'm like, well, sure, I'll show my non-farming siblings my FCC loan balance. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not hiding from that. But I probably had turtle as soon as they said, well, Marty, you took 42000 out of the farm last year and had free farm fuel and a truck. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, like, that's real to me. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so uh, what's it sound like at your table? Is that the level of transparency that, that exists? Oh, 100%. Because, again, I am blessed with two non-farming sisters. They grew up in this yard. They absolutely love this farm. They know what it takes to be a farmer, and they also know what comes with being a farmer. So, like, I can honestly say that there is not one shred of bitterness or kind of raised eyebrows when, you know, now we're building this new shop. Well, okay, so now Andrew and Jerry are clearly just loaded because we're building this new shop. No, we had to take another loan out of the bank and we had to, you know, finance this and do that and everything that needs to get done. And we openly talk about that with the non-farming family members. I, I've described it to a non-farmer saying, you know, how can you afford, you know, this to buy this land? And I said, well, we didn't afford to buy it. The bank owns it. <laughs> And we pay, pay, we make payments on it. And it's, it's not a nine to five job where every two weeks you have a paycheck that says this amount. You get stuff in chunks. Like you think, okay, well, we made, I'm just using a completely irrational number here. We made a million dollars on our canola. Well, our fuel costs 1.2 million. So where do you break even? Like it's, it's realizing that the money that's coming in, yes, that is a large amount in chunks, but also the money going out in expenses is a large amount in chunks. So you have to have balance and reality needs to be kind of used. A little bit of logic needs to get used. And again, transparency. Well, I like, I like what you're talking about in terms of your rational siblings are sitting there and when they start to see the real numbers, the doubt and the, and the raised eyebrows you put, it's, it just looks different because you're being open. And I don't know, I, it sounds to me like you're a pretty gifted family in terms of this level of communication. So, so bravo. Yeah, no, they're they're really good people. And often they'll look at those numbers and say, uh, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> okay, so as we kind of get to the end of our, our chat here today, I, I love to ask people, you know, you kind of even open with it a little bit, but, you know, what's that, that advice that you would give your younger self or that of all the things that we've talked about here today, the one thing you want our listeners to know? Whew. Ask for help when you need it. And when I say ask for help, that doesn't mean physically you can't do something. That means if emotionally you're just done being alone, sitting in that house, especially if you have little ones, ask for help. Have people come over and keep you company. Mental health in farming, they go hand in hand. So if you are struggling, whether that be as a, you know, as a young mom postpartum or even just anxiety or depression or anything like that, how important it is to not suffer in silence. And to ask for help and to reach out when you need to professionals and whatever that looks like in whatever in whatever capacity you need it, it is never weak to ask for help. It is never weak to admit that you need help. So I would say the most important thing for people out there to know is that it takes such strength to ask for help, but it is never, ever, ever a mistake. Well, thanks for sharing that piece of your life as well in terms of 
being a role model, but also helping break the stigma that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to not reach out for help. Mm-hmm. 100%. I really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your story. And uh, Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. What a great way to start season two of the podcast. It was a ton of fun getting to know Sherry. Sherry had a lot of wisdom that she gained from transitioning into the farming lifestyle. I think like many in her boat, she experienced a major period of adjustment and had to learn how to coexist with her husband and their family who really have known nothing but agriculture their whole lives. So what'd she teach us? Lesson number one, just like we've seen through all these podcast themes is communication and transparency are the key to a successful ag business and a happy family. Sherry emphasized how important it is to stay honest with communication with your family. She tried her best not to hold back when she needed to discuss difficult topics with her husband and her in-laws. When it comes to the business side, everyone had a vital role to play in the planning of the farm's future. And even the farm's siblings, who were not part of the farm, were still part of the inner workings. Number two, take the time for yourself. Sherry had to decide to accept the realities of being married to a farmer. But this didn't mean that she was hijacked in terms of what she could do to build her social circle and maintain her good mental health. So being married to a farmer can sometimes be isolating, and maybe you feel like you're alone. But Sherry took ownership and decided to build her own social life and find time to connect with others outside of the farm. I think point number two segues really well into point number three, and that's ask for help when you need it. Sherry didn't shy away from reaching out to others, whether it was with friends or family or even professionals. There's a saying that says, no man is an island. Basically, everyone has a need to find community and things are much easier accomplished with the help of others. The farm reflects the reality too that families all participate in their own way to keep the farm functioning, even bringing in mediators to help them when it's needed. Successful farming really is all about community. And lastly, there's a few cool planning tips I took out of our conversation as well. Have an agenda for the family meetings. Ask everyone to write down what they want, schedule the meetings in advance, take some notes. Simple. Well, that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed today's chat. If you want to follow along and learn more about Sherry Pauls and her farm life, you can follow her on Instagram. Her handle is at the G underscore mom. She actually has a lot of really funny content. I think she'll put a smile on your face. If you're looking for more resources to help you run a better farm business, check out fcc.ca and go to our knowledge page. There's a wealth of valuable information about almost every ag business topic. Before we go, just a reminder that we would love to hear from you. Shoot us a note at podcast at fcc.ca. Thanks for listening, folks. Until next time. This podcast has been brought to you by AgExpert, a farm management software designed for Canadian agriculture. Learn more at agexpert.ca. The FCC Knowledge Podcast is a Farm Credit Canada production produced in collaboration with Roman Empire Studios. Audio editing and mixing performed by David Roman of Roman Empire Studios right here in Regina, Saskatchewan.